This morning, I want to I share a, a message, and I'm just calling it God's Great Invitation. And next week, we're going to begin a, a new series, and, and I, I've, I'm calling it Given, G-I-V-E-N. And the idea is giving over yourself completely to God. Past tense, given. And so we're going to look at that for the month of October. But this morning, I, I want to share uh, this. God, is it God put it on my heart, and, and I don't know, I, I can relate to it. And I, I see so many people that they're, they're, they're looking for something. The, the, Kathy and I uh, got off a boat in New York City on, on Thursday morning, and we, we had planned to spend Thursday and Thursday night and all day Friday and then come home. And, and we did, and, and we, we, we walked. We spent a lot of time walking. Y'all are not going to believe this because I can't believe this, but I walked nine and a half miles on Thursday and seven and a half on Friday. That was before I got to the airport, okay? But I, I, didn't, I, I can't believe that, but I've got this little deal on my phone that told me it's true. And you know, if your cell phone says it, it's got to be true. <laughs> if it's on the internet, it's true. But anyway, we spent a lot of time walking, okay? And we, we, I, 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 I watch, I, I'm a people watcher. I, I just like to watch people. And, and, and it, folks, I, I, <laughs> Like I said, I've seen all kinds of things. Some things I, I wish I could erase from my mind. But, but basically, if I, if I boiled it down to something, I could see people just like me. No different. Living in a different place. Uh, but they were, they were hungry. They were, they were hungry for something. And you know what? Every person in this room and, and every person by extension on this planet has a ravenous desire for something. There's a hunger that's built within us, and it longs to be satisfied, and it drives men, and it drives women, it drives boys and girls into places and into situations and into choices that they could never have imagined going or making. I mean, it's, it's like a, a taskmaster. It's almost an inconsolable desperation. And, and that's the way it is with all of us. Some people turn to food and to drug and, and, and to alcohol or to pleasure. And I have seen over the last three weeks, I have seen uh, folks that, uh, that, have, that, were, that were, were trying to drown it in alcohol. I, I've seen uh, individuals that were, that were using uh, sex to try to to fill that spot. I, I've seen people that were chasing after good things and bad things. But the, but the reality of it is that they couldn't find any ultimate gratification. They couldn't find any satisfaction. And the conundrum is in this, the, the kind of catch-22 is that when we fill that hole that's in us with whatever choice we can stuff down in it, it always leaves us emptier than before we stuffed that stuff in. And so what happens is the harder we search, the hungrier we get. Because we're all searching in the wrong place. We're all looking for the wrong things. There's something missing in the cracks and the crevices of our soul. There's something 
in the dark depths of our spirit that, that's not there once we arrive on this planet. And yet there's a memory of it. It's almost primeval. It's, almost, it's, a, it's a collective memory. There's not a person who's ever been born that doesn't hunger for it. And so there's a memory built into us that tells us this is not the way it's supposed to be. This is not the way that, that we were created to live. There's a memory that reminds us that something or maybe everything is wrong. That something's messed up. And you know what? If I'm left to my own and you're left to your own, I can't satisfy that longing. That just gnaws. You know what I'm talking about? Do you understand? I mean, if we're all real honest and we take away the smile that we put on this morning with our nice clothes and our nice pants and our nice shoes, if we take away that smile, all of us know exactly what I'm talking about. You may define it a little different, but Deep down inside, you know what I'm talking about. There's a hunger that you can't satisfy. There's a need you can't meet. There's a desire that no matter what you try, screams unfulfilled. It screams empty. There was a man in the early part of the 17th century, and I I love to read his quotes. I got to be honest with you, he's way over my head, okay? His name is... Blaise Pascal, you may have heard of him. He was, a, he was born in France, and he was a child prodigy. He was brilliant. Uh, he became a, mathemati- a mathematician and a physicist. I was never very good in math, okay? I picked a career that only had one math class in college, okay? I'm just being honest with you this morning, okay? I was going to be a, a coach, all right? You only had to take one HPR class. I mean, one, you had to take a lot of HPR class, but you only had to take one math class. And then I realized when, when God called him in ministry that, that you only had to take one math class there, and I'd already taken that math class, so I said, okay, Lord, if this is what you want, I'll do it. But Blaise Pascal was a mathematician. And physics are even more confusing to me. I I took physics in high school because I didn't want to take chemistry because in chemistry you had to memorize the the, uh, periodic table. So I thought, how hard can physics be? It was the second semester before I ever worked a physics problem right. So I, I can't imagine being a physicist or a mathematician. His his. His intelligence it was staggering, and we still use some of his mathematic and physics equations. And some of the things that he invented are literally the basic building blocks of the technology that, uh, that we have today. But he was more than that. He was also a Christian, and he was a philosopher. Now, I understand philosophy, okay? Philosophy means you think a lot about a lot of things, and you really don't ever have an answer for it. Okay, that, that, That's what philosophers do. They think. And he was a very deep thinker. And he summed up what I've been trying to say in just one word. I want to I read a couple of sentences that he wrote. What else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim? But there was once in man a true happiness of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there the help he cannot find in those that are. 
Though none can ever help since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object. You may have heard a, a, a quote that's attributed to him. There is a, there's a godlike vacuum in all of us. He didn't really say that. This is what he said, and this is how they came up with that quote. But this is what he says. He says, there, there's an infinite abyss that can only be filled with an infinite and immutable object. In other words, by God himself. That desperation and that hunger and that longing that nothing in creation can satisfy, satisfy can only be satisfied by God. He's the only one that can fill this abyss that's in us. You and I were created by God. And we were created for God. And we were created for a relationship with God. And you can put anything else in this hole, okay? In this place that hungers. And listen to me, as Pascal describes it, it will never even dent the desire. It may numb it. Okay, I've seen some numb people over the last three weeks. But the hunger's still there. You, you, can, you, can, you, can, you can be stoned, you can be drunk, you can be passed out. And you may not be aware of the hunger, but it's still there. And when you sober up, when you wake up, it still gnaws. It still gnaws. Folks, apart from God, that, that fire that burns in us can't be extinguished. Now, I'm going to share a few things that, listen, every one of us know. Sin separated us from that satisfaction that God provides. Amen? That's what, that's what happened. We all know that. Most of us realize that Jesus came to pay the debt for sin and to restore that relationship. We all know that. We know these things in our heads. Okay? We understand these things intellectually. We've rationalized them. We've analyzed them in countless ways. Most of us understand with our heads that Jesus died for our sins and he restored our relationship with God because that's what the Bible teaches. Our problem is we're still hungry. Amen? Let's just be, let's just be honest. Let's just pull back there. Most of us are still hungry. Okay? We know it here. But we're not really experiencing it in here. We're still starving, still desperate, still longing for satisfaction, which is just out of reach. It's, it's off our fingertips, it seems. So what happens is we try with more intensity. We work harder. We concentrate and we examine the pages of Scripture uh, with more energy, looking for that magic key. Or that perfect three-step program that will guarantee success. Let's just be honest. All of us want the list that says if you do this and you do this, this is what will happen. Amen? Most people do. Okay? Because it works well rationally. Now listen, God gave us a brain to think with. All right? But there are some things we cannot think our way into. All right? I know this is, the, this is not what I was taught, okay? I was taught that if you study long enough and you study hard enough, you'll, you'll find what you're looking for, okay? And, and you will intellectually, but you may not 
in your heart and in your soul. So we work harder and, and we look for that, that process. That's, that's what it is. If I do this and I'll do this, then God will do this. Pascal put it this way. I love, I love the way he says it. It is the heart which perceives God and not the reason. Okay, how will you think about that for a minute? It's with the heart that God is perceived, not with reason. That is what faith is. God perceived by the heart, not by reason. The heart has its reasons which reason cannot understand. We know truth not only by reason, but also the heart. See, we have to have reason and the heart. Reason is not enough. Intellect is not enough to have a relationship. Our intellect's not enough to apprehend the desire of our heart. Reason can't fulfill the desires of the taste buds of my soul or the taste buds of my spirit. It takes more. I love the way David, the psalmist, puts it. King David. He puts it far more eloquently in this verse. In Psalms 42, verse 1 and 2, this is what David says. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for the Oh, God. Now, I want you to get a picture of that, okay? I've never been close enough to a deer. I've seen plenty. But I've never seen one panting for water. So I'm going to use a different illustration, okay? I'm going to dumb it down for me. I've got a little dog. And when she gets hot, that tongue drops out. (laughs) That's the noise she makes, Okay? Uh, that's the same picture David is painting. He's just painting it with a deer. Okay? And it's the same thing that he says his soul does. It's thirsty. It, it, it longs to be satisfied. The only thing that can satisfy thirst is water. Okay? You may think Gatorade does and all that other stuff, Coca-Cola's, it doesn't. Water is what works. Okay? And so what he's saying here is, 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 is he, like, a, like a deer pants for water when it's thirsty. So my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Literally, when shall I come before the face of God? Our, Our spirit, our soul, our body longs to look at God again face to face. I want you to think about that. That's the way we were created, folks. If you go, if you go back to the, to the very first person, the, 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 the genesis of our human race, Adam, the first thing Adam saw was the face of God. You say, how do you know that, Nelson? Because the Bible says that God breathed the breath of life into him. And when he, when he opened his eyes, when he tra- was transformed from dust into flesh, he saw his heavenly Father. And he beheld his heavenly Father. And that relationship that he walked in each day, that he and the woman... By the way, their names were not Adam and Eve initially, okay? It was the man and the woman, Ish and Isha, okay? They, they were man and woman. And together they were human beings. Adam means red clay. He became Adam. Eve, Adam names Eve in the third chapter and calls her the mother of all living. But initially they were just the man and the woman. 
And Adam, he received that very first breath literally from the lips of his heavenly father. His face, I mean, he faced life without nature, irreputably damaged by sin. He experienced God not, not with just his spirit, folks, but with his soul and his body, with all of him. I don't know anything about gambling, but I know a trifecta. If you hit the trifecta, it's good. Adam hit the trifecta, okay? He had it all. Spirit, soul, and body. A fully functioning relationship without any darkness in it. There was no darkness whatsoever. God and Adam walked together. They talked together. They hung out together. Now, I believe that because I believe... uh, uh, Genesis 3, chapter 8 implies that they had a time and they had a place where they met. And they met on a daily basis. Genesis 3, 8 says, And they, the man and the woman, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. In the wind or the breeze is literally what it means. In the cool of the day. Most people, uh, when they read that, they think, well, they got together first thing in the morning. Well, in the Middle East which is very likely somewhere over there where the Garden of Eden was, the cool breezes come in in the evening, not in the morning. The wind begins to blow, and it begins to blow the cool breeze. And it was in that time in the garden that Adam and Eve would meet with God. And they would, they would build relationship. They would listen to God. He would listen to them. They would talk back and forth. Now, our our verse here takes place after both of them eat of the fruit. And it was likely that it was the evening time. And tragically, though, Adam turns away from God by willingly eating the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I want to dispel some some bad preaching and some bad teaching. I've heard it in my lifetime, but listen, it was not it was not the woman that brought the fall. It was the man. Okay? That's what scripture teaches. It says Eve was deceived, but Adam wasn't. Adam had heard the command, the prohibition from the very mouth of God. Face to face. Adam Everything in this garden is yours except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the day you eat of it, the day you will die. Now, my father, in my mind, was a lot like God. He spoke plain, just like that. And when he said something, I understood what he was saying. Adam understood what God was saying. And so what takes place is Adam makes a choice. He didn't eat because he had believed, I mean, he didn't eat because he knew that his wife was now lost to him. And that that, uh, in his nobility, he he wasn't going to forsake her. I've heard pastors preach and teach things like that, that Adam wasn't really as bad. They didn't say that. I'm just kind of paraphrasing. But that he saw that Eve was lost. And the only way that she could be saved is if he joined her. No, he turned his face away from God. He bit and took the lie. Eve was deceived. Adam stepped in it knowing what God had said and what the serpent was saying. 
He ate because he believed the lie. And that lie caused him to turn his face away from God. But listen to me, he turned his face away when he made the choice, not when he bit the fruit. You you do understand that, don't you? The biting of the fruit came after the choice. And every time we commit sin, folks, there's a moment when we have to choose. There's a moment. God's given us that, that, if you want to call it a gift, the gift of choice. There's where free will comes in. And so he made that choice. He believed the serpent's lie that God was holding something back. That there was more. In fact, that's what Satan did. He said, you know what? There's more. There's more. Yeah, 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 but but if we eat this fruit, we're going to die. You won't die. There's more. Adam had seen the goodness of God. When God created him, Scripture says that God placed Adam in a garden. And and literally that word in Hebrew means paradise. He placed him in a paradise. Everything that he needed was there. I, I can't even imagine that. Okay? Everything he needed... Spirit, soul, body was there. Everything he needed intellectually. Everything he needed emotionally. You say, well, the woman wasn't there. Well, guess what? It wasn't long before she got there. Everything he needed was there. Everything she needed was there. He witnessed God's goodness. When he brought the woman to him. He witnessed what intimate relationship was. Not only with her, but with God. The ultimate relationship. Folks, he, ins- he experienced it firsthand, And yet he believed a lie that even though he'd been made in the image of God. And the likeness of God. He believed a lie that there was more. You'll be like God. See, he believed an irrational argument because he was already like God. Do you see what Satan did? It's the same thing he does to us. Go ahead. If you get this, you'll have everything you want. Well, I've listened to that lie a few times. Have you? And when I got it, it wasn't what I wanted. Amen? Amen? And I couldn't get rid of it. You understand what I'm saying? I couldn't let go of it. Couldn't shake it off. But didn't satisfy. That's what Adam did. Adam was already like God. In fact, the Bible says that he was the son of God. I've shared that with you several times. In Luke 3.38, when you come to the end of that genealogy, one of the genealogies that that Luke and Matthew gives in the book of Luke, it traces the the lineage of Jesus all the way back to Adam. But this is what it says, and it's the only other time in Scripture that the little word thee comes before Son of God that doesn't refer to Jesus. It says, Adam, the Son of God. He was God's Son. God created him. He made him in His image and His likeness. And Adam chose the lie 
over his experience. You see, he trusted the serpent's rationality. He believed the, da- the, the rational argument that the devil gave him rather than the revelation that the Father gave him. See, when God speaks, it's true. It doesn't make any difference where it makes sense up here or not. Okay? When God speaks, it's true. And God gave him revelation from his lips to Adam. And yet Adam believed the rational argument that that the serpent came with, the crafty explanation of God's motives instead of the proof he had experienced. And you know what? We do the very same thing. And ever since that fateful moment, instead of, of the proof that he'd experienced, he struggled to believe God. And we struggle to believe God. We struggle to believe that he truly loves us. Let's just be real honest. Most people struggle with that. They've heard it if they've gone to church very much. They've heard God loves you, God loves you, God loves you, but they struggle, God couldn't love me. We struggle with the fact that God wants a relationship with us. Or that God is as good as grace says He is. So what happens is we do our best to explain God. Okay? We like to classify Him. Put Him in categories of what He likes and what He doesn't like. What He dislikes. What pleases him? What displeases him? We describe our relationship in do's and don'ts, in rules and regulations, and what we are for or what we are against. And what happens is we still come up empty. Okay? I can remember back in, I believe it was 1998, may have been 1999, I was in seminary. I was 40 years old, I'd lived, you know, I'd done a lot of things, I'd been a lot of places, seen a lot of people, studied a lot, and, and, and I, but I came to a place where I was empty in here. None of, those, none of those things fed the hunger I'm talking about. And I realized, here I was in seminary, I was about halfway through, I thought, you know what, I know a lot about God. I've learned a lot of facts and a lot of figures, and, and I've memorized a lot of verses, and, and I've read this book and that book, but you know what, God, I'm not sure I know you. I know about you. I'm, I'm, I'm confident that, that I gave you my life when I was a kid at the age of eight years old, but I'm not sure I really know you. We sang a song this morning uh, about the good, good father. And there's a line in there that we've all heard what they say. See, that's been most of our experience. It's what somebody else says about God. See, that's, what, that's why I'm not sure that, that preaching and teaching is supposed to be like most of us experience. Because it's one person telling everybody else what we're supposed to do or, or how we're supposed to live. When reality of it is, is we're supposed to be sharing with one another what we've experienced in God. See, I can give you all kinds of facts and figures in here, but it won't necessarily help your relationship because relationship is not an intellectual argument. Relationship is an experience. 
And I can have my experience with God, but the best you can do is just watch. You can't experience what I'm experiencing through my experience. Does that make sense? You have to experience your own experience. I I found myself this morning, I've, I've been longing for worship time here, okay? I love worship time here. And I, we, were, we were singing a song, and I looked over this way, and I could see some folks experiencing worship, okay? And, and I just, I got caught up in it. And I realized, Nelson, you know what? You're not experiencing it. You're experiencing their experience, Now, this might offend some of you, but that's nothing more than being a peeping Tom. Okay? So I had to close my eyes, and I had to connect with God, and I had to experience God. Because I can't experience God through somebody else's experience. I have to have my own experience. And although Adam had that experience, he chose a lie. And every one of us are born with that lie in us. But we're also born with the hunger in us that longs to experience God. So we struggle with the lie and the hunger. And for some reason, we try to put the lie into the feed the fire and the hunger, but it never satisfies us. It just leaves us hungrier. Folks, what I'm talking about this morning is, uh, is it's important. Listen to me. Please don't misunderstand me. It's important to know what's in this book. If we don't know what's in this book, we don't know much about God. But this book is not just facts and figures. It's not verses just to be memorized that will make us feel spiritual. This book is life. Okay? It's life. It's life that if I, if I dive into it and I approach it as a love letter, it's life that will cause me to experience God. But if all it is is, is facts and figures and do's and don'ts, I'll just be hungry. Because you know what? When you're hungry, at least for me, I can't speak for you, but a blade of grass... Doesn't dent my hunger. Okay? I need some meat. When I'm thirsty, you know, thinking about water, dreaming about it doesn't, it doesn't quench my thirst. I need a glass of water. Folks, God has created us not with the need to explain Him. He's created us with the need to experience Him. And what we've done in the church is we have, we've got it backwards. We have to explain Him. I want you to listen to this verse. And I'm going to talk about it for a few minutes and we're going to be gone. There's the, the answer is found in Psalms 46.10. I'm going to read this this morning out of the King James because I think the King James uh, version in this verse has the best translation. Very simple verse. It says, Be still and know. That I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. Let me, let me, let me, I I learned something while I was gone. Part of my trip took us to Iceland, our trip. And in Iceland, in about 900, 
Christianity came, and there was a there was a, de- a decision in Iceland, uh, and it was it was made in a place which is it, I mean it's it's where the literally the earth the crusts of the earth separate. Okay, so there's there's this huge gouged out rocks and everything. One plate on this side, the left right side is is Europe, the other side is the Americas. The clans of, 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 of the Vikings, that's what they were basically, the, 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 they met in this place. And they had a decision to make. Will we become Christian or will we be heathen? Okay? And so will we worship the old gods? And so they met there. The, the, the lords and the kings and all of them met. And the Christian representative made his case. The heathen representative made his case. The next day they decided to be Christian. I stood in that place. It was awesome, okay? But here's what they told the heathen. You can head to the heaths if you want to worship those pagan gods. The heaths were the, were the uttermost places. That's where the word heathen came from. Those that went were heathen. They went to the heaths. Now that's a side note. I've got to get back to my, my thing here. But God says, I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. Folks, that's our invitation. It's, it's, it's our invitation is not to explain God, but to experience God. We don't have to explain Him. I understand apologetics and, and, and defending our faith, but too many of us don't witness about our experience with God because we're afraid we'll have to explain God. God never calls us to explain Him. He doesn't explain him. In the very first verse of Genesis, it says, In the beginning, God. God was already there. God just assumed we would accept that. So he gave no beginning. I mean, he gave no explanation. When you don't have to give an explanation, you don't give one. Throughout the Bible, he never tries to explain his existence. Why should he? He says, I am that I am. I have been here before anything was here. I created it. Why should the creator explain to the creation and give proof that he exists, folks? Psalms 46.10 has two commands. The first one is, be still. Stop striving. Stop stressing. Stop streaking around filled with anxiety. God says, be still. Paraphrase. Freeze. Any of you ever play freeze tag when you were kids? Ever how you got tagged, you had to stay that way. That's what God's saying right here. He's saying, freeze. Right where you are. Stop in your tracks. You will never experience God until you get still. You can't hear God speak when you're frantically running around to and fro. You can't feel God's touch or His empowerment when you're frenetically attempting to complete a religious list of of God-pleasing activities that was given to you by somebody else who's trying to complete the same list of activities. They can't do it, so they gave you their list to see if you could do it. 
And you know what happens? We can't do it, so we give it to somebody else. And guess what? Here we are. Frustrated? Angry? Mean and ugly people. Amen? Is it any wonder that those who don't know Christ don't really want to know Christ? Because the people that are called Christians, who are supposed to be little Christ, are all mad and angry and frustrated. You ever seen a hamster on a wheel? As hard as he can run, he'll never get off, he'll never outrun that wheel. That's the church, in a sense. That's the church trying to explain Jesus instead of experiencing Jesus. Because listen to me, when you experience Him, you get real still. You get real quiet. You begin to listen. You begin to hear things you didn't hear before. See things you haven't seen before. Folks, checking off a list will never prove once and for all that you love God more or that He loves you more. Okay? You cannot experience God if all you do is feverishly gather and garner facts about Him and file them away in your mind. You will never know Him. You'll know about Him. I know about George Washington. Okay? I've seen pictures in the past three weeks of George Washington. I've seen statues of George Washington. But you know what? I've never met George Washington. So I don't know George Washington. I know about George Washington. God doesn't say, be still and know about me. He says, be still and know. Folks, all of what I've just said are things, they're they're futile attempts to explain God. You know why? Because our face is turned away from Him. Instead of to Him. He created us to live face to face with Him. To connect eyeball to eyeball, heart to heart, spirit to spirit. And so He says, be Still. In other words, whatever you've been doing, stop. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. Yeah, but won't get it. Okay? Just be still. Then he, he tells us to be still first. Why? Because true relationship, folks, is more. He says, be still. And then he commands us to do something. He tells us to stop doing one thing and start doing something else. He commands us, he says, and know that I am God. Now that that almost says, well, I need to know. I need to rationally come to conclusions. I need facts and I need figures. But that's not what this know means, okay? Yes, it does know. It means to know intellectually, but it's richer and has a deeper meaning. It's the Hebrew word that's translated yada, Y-A-D-A. 
And it means far more than rationally knowing. It means, uh, which is a knowing of the mind, it means to experience something. How many of you like steak? How many of you do pictures of steak satisfy that longing? Do, do knowing that it comes from a certain portion of, 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 a, of a bovine, does that, or a cow, does that, does that, does that satisfy it? Does, does knowing that it's been aged for six months, does it satisfy when, when, when you know, the, the, uh, the saliva begins, or the slobber, as I call it, begins to, you know, seep down your cheek? Does that satisfy you? No. You have to what? Put it in your mouth. See, until you put it in your mouth and, and taste it and, and, and begin to chew it, do you actually experience it? You can look at, at pictures of it until you starve to death. You can think about it cooked every imaginable way on whatever heat fire and whatever kind of coals you want to place there until you starve to death. But until you place it in your mouth, until you experience it, you don't know what it tastes like. You don't know what it's like. God says, I want you to yada me. That's what he said. I want you to, to be still and, and, and experience me. Folks, it's the very same word. And this is, this is found in the King James. And it, it talks about the relationship between Adam and Eve. It says, and Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore The verse uses the word yada as an, idi- an idiom, a, a part of speech to describe the sexual relationship between a husband and a wife. He experienced his wife. She experienced her husband. And out of that, there was, there was, there was a seed plant and there was conception and she brought forth life. Now, when we know God, when we experience God in our, our spirit and in our soul and in our body, Life springs up, okay? It's a different kind of life than we've been used to. The other life has a hunger that can't be satisfied. But this life has a satisfaction that brings forth more life. You understand what I'm saying? People get excited when they see this. Lost people flock to you to find out what the heck is wrong with you. Because they've never seen anything like it. You look like a picture of a steak that's cooked perfectly. And they're drawn to it. They they can smell, it's one of those you scratch and sniff. You know what I mean? You smell like Jesus. And they're drawn to it. And you know what happens when they get to us? We go, well, let me see. There are five things you need to know. Man is a sinner. God loves you. But man's still a sinner. Jesus died and he came for you. And you need to just trust him. Okay? Those are important things. But those five things won't necessarily feed the hunger that's in them. Okay? At some point it will when the Holy Spirit begins to work. That's when we use the facts. But most of us don't look like a picture of a steak cooked to perfection. Okay? We look like a dictionary. And who wants to look at a dictionary and, and, and hunt through there to find words that explain 
what we're supposed to show through our experience. Folks, true relationship goes beyond physical or, or emotional connections. It's a spiritual connection. And there's a, there's a, a, a tie that's, that's, that's a, that's, that is bound up when we truly experience God. There's a connection that's made. And you know it when you make it. Okay? And once you make it, nothing else satisfies. And you want more. And you want more. And that's the way it's supposed to be. God wants us to experience that spiritual connection that meets those physical needs and those, those uh, emotional needs. What he's, what he's literally saying in, in Psalms 46.10, he's saying, experience me fully. Learn who I am, not who somebody says, says I am. Explore my grace. And stop worrying about messing up. And stop worrying about not measuring up. See, that's our problem. We're afraid we're going to mess up. And if we're afraid we're going to mess up, we're never going to take a step because if we're convinced we're going to fail, I know this is true of men, men will not try. Okay? I can't say this for ladies, but I know men because I am one. If we're convinced we're going to fail, hey, I just won't try. But God says, experience me. Stop worrying about me. You can't mess up. And you don't have to measure up. We know this. We've heard this intellectually. But Jesus measured up for us. Okay? So he's already met God's standard. I just get to enjoy his finished work. So I can't mess up. You can't mess up. Yeah, but you don't know what I've done. No, but you don't know what I've done. None of us know what the other one's done. Sin is sin. Adam didn't kill anybody. Adam didn't rape anybody or abuse anybody. He didn't steal anything. He didn't curse the Lord. He ate a bite of forbidden fruit. Folks, it's not the sin. It's the fact that it's disobedience. He did what God said not to do. And guess what? All of us have done those things. So we're all on pretty level ground when it comes to what we've done. So we can't mess up. We don't have to worry about not measuring up. God says, I want you to experience me as a father who will never hurt you. I want you to experience me as a friend who will never desert or reject you. I want you to experience me as a lover who will never use you or abuse you. As a savior who's given his life for you. As a deliverer who will rescue you. No matter the situation or the circumstance you find yourself in. The shepherd. I want you to experience me as a shepherd who will provide satisfaction for your deepest needs. I want you to be to experience me as a warrior who will protect you against every enemy. And as a companion who will never leave you nor forsake you. That's what he wants us to do. He wants us to experience him in different ways. See, we all come to this place with a hunger, but we need to experience sometimes differently. Maybe your daddy wasn't that good a daddy. Okay? Maybe you've had a spouse that wasn't that good of a spouse or a friend that wasn't that good of a friend. Jesus is. Jesus is. 
You can rationally memorize facts about who God is and what he does with scriptural references, but until you experientially embrace those aspects of relationship with God, until you know God heart to heart, face to face, spirit to spirit. I mean, I like to say it, eyeball to eyeball. Until you experience it, you will never know God. You may know about him, But folks, what happens is what we try to express to others has yet become our personal experience. And that's what happens a lot of times from pulpits and from teaching lecterns is we're trying to teach people things we don't even possess. That we've never... I can't teach you past my experience. In reality, I can't lead you somewhere I've never gone. I can't take you to a place I don't know how to get to. Trust me. I tried it this week in Boston. I tried it in New York. You can't get to some of those places unless you know how to get there and somebody takes you, okay? We read the we rode the 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 metro or whatever it's called in Boston and finally some guy says, Y'all are lost, aren't you? I said, well, I'm not sure. He says, I can tell by the look you are. I said, well, we're supposed to catch this train. He says, you're in the right place, but you're looking at the wrong map. I said, okay. So he pointed. He said, if you'll do this, this, and this, sure enough, guess what? Voila. We got off at the right place. Folks, if we're headed in the right direction, we're not going to find God, and we can't lead anybody else. I mean, Scripture, Jesus says that if the blind lead the blind, they'll all end up in a pit. Well, listen, I've lived in the pit long enough. So I want to experience him personally. But I also know that you have the same hunger. And so we've all got to experience him personally so that we can express him publicly. So that people understand who he is. Listen, we don't have to prove there's a God. You say, well, some people don't believe there is. Listen, Romans chapter 1, verse 19, you read it on your own. It clearly says everybody knows there's a God. God made sure he stamped in them where they were made at. Okay, they got a label in their collar that says made by God. They know they are made by God. They know there is a God. Okay, they know it. How how do you think all these other gods came about? They just decided they weren't going to worship the real one. They were going to make one of their own. But they all know it. So I don't have to explain to to someone who's lost that there's a God. They've made a choice to turn away. All I have to do is experience Him and then express to them what I've experienced. See, they may not want to admit there's a God, but they can't deny what I've experienced. Because I've experienced it. They can't take it away. Our responsibility as sons and daughters of God is to experience Him so that we can live our lives out to express Him. Folks, the multitudes are not looking for explanations. They're not, listen, words don't satisfy the hunger I've been talking about. You can pour a boatload of words in there and it won't make you any. Uh, more filled or satisfied. They're not looking for an explanation. 
Just think about this. I'm, I'm kind of realistic. If, if it didn't work for me, guess what? It won't work for them. And so why should I do that? No, they're looking for someone who has been with Jesus. They're looking for somebody that's experienced what they long to experience. Somebody who's experienced Jesus on a moment-by-moment basis. They're not looking for rational explanations. They're looking for revelatory experiences. It's, It's interesting in the Old Testament. When Moses comes down off the mountain, nobody asks who he's been with. You know why? Because he was glowing like a Roman candle. There was something different about him. They stood back in awe. Folks, I'm telling you, when you spend time with Jesus and you experience Jesus, people, they may not can tell you what it is, but they know something is different. And they hunger for it. They know what's real and they know what's fake. Okay? If you don't think so, spend some time with some children. Okay? Because they know. When Moses came off that mountain, they knew he'd been with God. They, it was, God was all over him. Listen, have you ever hugged somebody that had on too much cologne or too much perfume? Okay? I'm going men and women. You ever hugged? They bathed in it. Okay? That's basically what I'm saying. When you come away, what happens? You smell like them, don't you? Listen, if you spend some time with Jesus and you really experience Jesus, you'll smell like Him. You'll smell like Him. You spend enough time with Him, you'll look like Him. You'll act more like Him. But it won't be how many verses you've memorized. It won't be if you can, uh, if you from memory can, can tell all the kings of Israel and Judah. It won't be if you can define all and and talk about all the apostles. It will be if you've experienced Jesus or not. If you've embraced Him. They're not going to smell anything that comes out of your head. Things smell your heart. Okay? They want to experience the touch of Jesus. They want to experience the security of Jesus. They want to experience the compassion of Jesus. The love of Jesus, the protection of Jesus, the holiness of Jesus, the righteousness of Jesus. Those are the things that we hunger for. And they hunger for those things because that's exactly what we hunger for. And folks, when we begin this, we talked about that abyss. Only Jesus can fill that abyss. And He will only fill it as you get to know Him. Until I get still, I will never know. But if I get still, I will know. And once I begin to know, I'll begin to experience. And once I begin to experience, I want more. See, I've experienced enough steak that when I put it in my mouth, I know whether it's good or not. Okay? That's the way it is with Jesus. When you experience Him, anything else, you can taste the lessness of it. The dryness of it. The tastelessness of it. 
And there's nothing worse in your mouth than something that doesn't have a taste. Folks, we need to experience Jesus. If you're desperate this morning, just stop and know He's God. He's God. Let's pray. Father, this morning. For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.